All right, it's DT Systems, dog tested and dog tough. You know, we like that dog in them, baby. We've been using the H2O1820. Over the last several months, we've been playing with this unit. Our friends at Standing Stone Kennels, Ethan and Kat, they've been using it for years, and we've been playing with it. We really like it. I think for the dog trainer, the hunter, and the guy or gal who's training their dog to get ready for duck season, we'll really enjoy the 1820. Super reliable, super consistent, great unit for you and your dogs. H2O1820. Dog tested. Dog. Gunner Kennels, baby. Hashtag man's best kennel. Well, it's also now hashtag man's best food crate. It's freaking raccoon proof. You can't get into this thing. Your dog can't bust into the lid and eat all the food. Trust me, I know Memphis has done it in the past. She looks like a blown up pumpkin. Boom. But not anymore. We've got the Gunner Kennel food crate. It's easy to pack easy to store, keeps food dry, which food's an investment, man. That Purina, baby, it ain't cheap anymore. So keep it dry, good, all that stuff. Easy to pack, easy to store. The Gunner Kennel Food Crate, slide into DMs if you'd like to learn more. It's force fetch, baby. It's the number one question we get asked. You don't know how to fix it? Let me help you. Let me get you to your goals. We built a course bunch of videos. I think there's 13 or 14 videos start to finish on how you and your dog can get through the force fetch process successfully. The link's in the description. Be sure to check it out and let me help you and your dog. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Gun Dog It Yourself. Ah, sort of. Hey, it's Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. It's me, Bob. I appreciate you tuning into this one. A little bit different style than we've ever done before. We've never done this. I was invited on the Gun Dog It Yourself podcast with Nick Adair and Jeremy Moore from Dog Bone. Jeremy and I had a debate on e-collars and force fetch versus not and in truth it was a difficult conversation there were parts of it that i felt like i did a a a good job describing the way we train the way i train he did a good job describing his way we saw eye to eye on some things we didn't see eye to eye on others and when you can have a discussion with someone that you respect and, and can appreciate their methods, it does open your eyes to things to say, hmm, I could tweak this. I could tweak that. So I had a lot of takeaways from this conversation. One of the big pieces that I do regret, and I'll be interested, you know, if you want to make a comment or send me a direct message, I do regret one portion of the conversation. And I think it just comes down to it's a conversation. It's live it's unedited it's raw and you know in the moment it felt like yeah no i i get a bunch of dogs that are screwed up already because you know someone else worked with them and now i gotta fix it and that's like a common thing for us to sort of feel but we both jeremy and i ended up making a comment where it was like folks like yourself listeners can't do a good job with their dog and i almost swore, but I really, really regret making that comment because I don't agree with that. I think this podcast, YouTube, 
courses, everything that people are putting out there for you all to digest, learn, grow, develop is to better you and your dog's relationship and better your skill set. And people work really, really hard with their dogs and don't want to screw it up. And so I feel bad. That's the one piece I wish I could take away and redo and say, no, you know what? I don't agree with that. Do people make mistakes and I've got to fix them? Yep. That's why I got a job. But everyone's going out there, putting their best foot forward with their dog, doing the best they can and trying to learn. And we are here to provide you information to try and do it better. So take that with a grain of salt. I wish I could take that comment back because we are here to help people and we are here to make mistakes less and I make mistakes and I'm not perfect. And I wish I could change some of the things that I've done with dogs and tweak and learn and grow. But I hope you enjoy this conversation. It's from Nick Adair's podcast called Gun Dog It Yourself. If you don't listen to it already, be sure to go look at it, subscribe. If you enjoy this episode, do me a favor. Leave us a comment in in the comment section of the podcast and tell us what you thought. Shoot us a DM on Instagram. Tell us what you thought. And I hope you enjoy the show. It was was spicy at times. There are some F-bombs. So if you're listening in the car with your kids, probably not the episode for them to to be tuning in with you. So fair warning there. Um, But without further ado, enjoy the episode from Gundog It Yourself recapped here on the lone d baby so the main question before we get going is how did this episode come about and jeremy i'll let you take it from here because ultimately you're kind of the one that reached out and got this party started sure well thank you both of you guys for doing this um i i i'll be honest with you man i'm just tired to listen i listen to podcasts all the time and i i, I really like them i listen to you both of your guys so i and, and a lot of other ones what I'm really tired of is um, it, it, it seems like whenever I listen to stuff, there's always good topics, but they're always like real one-way conversations. And man, if I could only be in the room at the time, because I got questions about them. So I listened to your two uh, latest podcasts. It was Nick, your podcast that Bob was on. Um, it was discussing Bob, your course, mm-hmm. your force fit, force fetch course. And in that conversation you had mentioned something about man we really struggle to get people on the other side to talk they want to have you know certain rules and all that stuff and i don't know that i qualify to be on the other side but um to that extreme but i was like damn dude i'd do it in a heartbeat like i think it'd be great and so i reached out to you kind of bounced ideas and then i i think it was great that we were all kind of able to come together with the idea um but i i really feel like you get more value when you have two-way conversations because i want to challenge bob i just think it's fun to do that but I, I i think bob will challenge me and i think we have respect for each other i like what he does i don't know he, i don't know if he likes what i do or not but i feel like we can we would get along really well if we were in a hunting camp but we're not going to agree on everything and and i god damn guys that's life so why don't we talk like that on podcasts so that, that was my hope with this and we'll see what happens and that's great because you you called me and pretty much exactly what you said. You said, hey, I, I actually enjoyed the episode. There was some good good information, but there are some things that I, I disagreed with and would like to share my opinions. And then you reached out to Bob. We talked to Bob, and, and it was fun to uh, that everybody agreed to come on here because 
we've all been in this this space for a little while, and we all know the old saying: the only thing you can get two trainers to agree on is that the other, the third one, doesn't know what they're talking about, right? Sure. And so, <laughs> I thought this was going to be a blast. Uh, anybody that listened to the episode with Bob. They kind of know, like you said, he has a force fetch program here. And uh, so we're obviously uh, with both of you guys as reputable as you are. I'm I'm excited to kind of kick this off because I think this is going to be a fun uh, way to respectfully have an honest discussion and show that people can disagree in this world without going to blows ultimately. Sure. So, Bob. What was your initial reaction when Jeremy reached out with his idea? Uh, I thought it was a great idea. And the the thing that I'm really excited about is both Jeremy and I respect each other. And that's going to play a part in agreeing and disagreeing in methodologies. Um, the other thing that I feel like I'm hoping to be able to bring to the table is when I first started reading books at 16... I read a few books before then, but dog training books, it was the Wild Rose Way. It was Robert Milner. It was very British uh, methodologies of, of how I was developed and brought up, um, as well as a lot of like Caesar Milan, behavioral modification, reading body language and being in tune with the animal. And I think the British methods, um, which, Jeremy, would you kind of say that that's kind of like majority of your background? I don't want to put words in your mouth. I think it's definitely my, yeah, I would say it's my preferred style for sure. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I feel more, yeah, I probably know way more about it than, than the alternative, you know. Sure. More, cool. More, so uh, I feel like I bring at least uh, a dangerous level of understanding of why and how, and, and I do a lot of things in my training of developing a great duck dog and competition dog that the British methods had taught me early on in, in my educational sponge stage before I even had a dog to do it with. Um, watched Mike Stewart's DVDs 25 times. I mean, I could almost tell you what he was going to say, but you know, because I've watched it so much. Right. Um, and so I feel like I'm, I'm going, my goal with this discussion is to be able to put the shoe on the other foot and listen and understand what I hope that the listeners get is it's not one president versus another president and they can't agree on anything and they just bash each other. That's not what this is about. This is two guys that are already friends, respect each other and just do it different ways. And we can work through problem solving and, and create maybe an idea of how you want to take your dog to the next level, knowing that there's no wrong answer really. Yeah. I hope it brings some clarification. Quite honestly, because I think there's, you know, Nick, you did a great job asking questions to Bob, but like, I, I think of it differently than you did. Like you, you were, you weren't necessarily coming from a different angle. You were, you know, bringing out information to share with viewers. So like, I look at it, I listen to that podcast and I, there's points in it where I go, I don't want to ask him this right now. I want to ask him this right now. Yeah, but this, yeah, but that. And so mm -hmm. that's where I see there. That's where I see like value in the idea of, well, let's go back and forth on some of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's kind of the, the the main benefit of podcasts and long form audio uh, engagement or discussions is that, that you're getting full context. But for uh, somebody that was in your shoes, Jeremy, it's very hard when uh, 
you you kind of want the conversation or certain questions to be asked. Obviously, you can't jump in and, and do that. So this is obviously kind of a meet in the middle. And and ultimately, I wish that we had time to kind of go into your entire full program, just like, you know, similarly to what we did with, with Bob. Uh, but ultimately, we, we're not going to have the time on this episode to do that. Maybe we do that uh, on another episode. But right now, I think unless you guys have any other uh, opinions, I think there's really nowhere else that we can start with besides uh, the the terms and the definitions of things, because we have to get on the same page with the vocabulary before we go anywhere else. And so, Jeremy, let's start with you. And while obviously this whole episode, as I, as I already talked about, is going to be focused on force fetch and, and some e-collar stuff. Uh, let's define what force fetch actually is. What what does force fetch mean to you, Jeremy? Uh, I don't want to throw a curveball at you right away, Nick, but like, I, so I don't think I should be the guy to define force fetch because I don't know what the hell it is, quite honestly. I would rather, I think I could describe to you like what what I do as an alternative in my reasoning, but I think that's not necessarily what this is about either. So like, it, can I reverse that and throw it back at you to start out this thing and be like, let's have Bob define what his force fetch definition is. Cause I, I don't have one. Yep. Bob go. Yeah. Go ahead, Bob define what force fetch is to you. Sure. Force fetch to me for what everyone sees it as is having a dog that reliably delivers to hand and brings you back a bird or a bumper on land and in water and delivers to hand nicely without chomping the bird, plucking the feathers, crushing the bird, um, delivers a nice, you know, firm but loose grip, if you will, like we talk about Labradors having a naturally soft mouth. So deliver nicely to hand, here he'll sit and hang on to it until I take it. And there's no option other than that. What force fetch truly is, in my opinion, is teaching the dog how to learn, how to comply quickly, how to turn pressure off, how to be motivated to do things with gusto. And by following a strict program from start to finish, you'll develop a dog that learns how to do all those things by turning pressure off and succeeding and then learns how to be successful and then strives to be successful. And then if you have to make a correction for or behavior, I've got tools in the tool belt to teach that, to say, no, that's not how we do it here, neck here, or something of that nature, um, using indirect pressure. So I believe it gives these dogs the understanding of how to be successful, but then when they make a mistake, it's not earth shattering, and I don't have to spend a lot of time on it, and I don't have to beat the proverbial dead horse, because one little correction can boom they're back in they're back in action and they're rolling with it. Um, and it also doesn't because I've taught it over time and it's not a one week course. It's four weeks on a quick dog and eight to 10 weeks on a slow dog. They've learned how to manage the situation so that if I do make a correction, they don't get their feelings hurt. They're like, oh, yeah, my bad. I got you. Boom. We're back in action. So that that to me is what four such is the art of delivering the hand nicely with good mouth habits as well as learning how to be successful, learning how to turn pressure off, and learning how to cope with different situations that they find in the field and in the swamps. Oh, and I'll add this too. It also puts the tools in the tool belt to develop 
you know, the force to a pile, the T pattern, um, quickly sitting on a whistle, uh, running a blind retrieve. Like if you follow the program through and through and you skip force fetch, then I find forcing, you know, force to a pile, force to water, swim by a lot of those things. When they make a mistake, you either have to repeat it a boatload or you could just make one quick correction and move on. Um, and sometimes several corrections, whatever the case may be, but you have the tools in the tool belt to develop the program. Yeah. And, and so ultimately to, to try and sum that up is you're using pressure, AKA force in, in this instance, uh, to develop those mechanisms and those tools that you may need to reinforce a good quality and consistent retrieve and handoff every single time. As well as the tools to build upon for future advanced training. I would yes. say. Yeah. It's two, so it's kind of like, it's two pronged for you. You're getting, mm-hmm. you're getting the retrieve part. And then I'll sum it up with the idea. Like my word to sum that up would be delivery. You good mm-hmm. delivery, right? Reliable yep. delivery. And it's also a gateway or an entrance into a philosophy of training going forward that may or may not be related to retrieving. Cause like you had mentioned here, Nick here yep. uh, in, in a it, shortly after you had said that it's a way for them to say, say it how you say it again, where you say it's a, a way for them to learn a, a way for them to understand how to learn. Is that how you describe it? Sure. Like how to, yeah, that's a good question. So for that instance, I would use indirect pressure with the here stimulation here. Uh, let's say they're doing like a big loop as they're coming and delivering to hand. You know, that's like, to me. To deli- are you connected to deliver? And, and I don't, and I didn't necessarily, I, I asked that question wrong. Like I posed it poorly. You earlier, you had said that this is a way for them. Force fetch is a way for them to help them learn something like that. Learn, learning. learning. Yeah, exactly. Great. That. Thank you. Learning how to learn. So, yeah. so if they are, learning how to learn through, I guess, like a compulsionary style of training, then when I need to make a correction and then show them the correct way, it's more black and white uh, would be one way of putting it, I guess. Now, you had mentioned here, Nick, here, as shortly after that, I think it was connected or tied to that idea of teaching them, having them learn how to learn. In that scenario, would you be doing that in like, Cause I hear that and I go, are you teaching recall essentially with the idea of this? Or is this kind of, are you, were you referring it to it as the idea of during the retrieve? Like, Hey, you're not coming right back to me with the thing in your mouth. I'm going to hear Nick here. And now you're coming to me. Or is that, or am I misreading that? Um, possibly misreading it, but maybe you don't have enough information of, of my example of the here, Nick here. Right. So, yeah. um, I've, before I force fetch, my methodology is I collar condition the dog first. So I to have everybody understand my methodologies, if you haven't listened to the previous episodes, we teach first. So I use treats uh, when they're babies, you know, teaching luring like the, you know, obedience people do a lot of luring, a lot of positive reinforcement, getting these behaviors that I'm asking of them. Once they're doing that pretty well, then I move on to a lead, a slip lead, a choke chain, whatever. Um, And now I'm starting to uphold the standard. I'm not using treats anymore. I've taught it. Now my praise and or a retrieve type of thing is their reward. And now I've got a pretty darn obedient dog. 
They understand sit, they understand here, they understand heal, they understand kennel slash place. Um, and it's all positives. It's all, it's all good, right? With pressure from the lead. Okay. So they learn to sit by lifting up on the lead, butt hits the ground, relax the lead, sure. right? Pressure on, pressure off, praise. Once they understand that, then I overlay with the e-collar. So I do, I do here first. So I teach, they already know here, they already get, got treats for five months, six months with treats coming to me, life is good. But what happens when they're going and chasing a, a rabbit across a road or something? I overlay the commands that they've already learned. So here is first, then heel, then sit, then kennel. And then I start pairing them all together to create over the course of a two to four week process, a collar conditioned dog that understands the leash means sit. So does the, the stimulation level. And you can vary the stimulation levels depending on the dog, depending on the infraction. I like to scale up. So it's pretty uncomfortable, but I also find their normal working level where it's basically a light tug on the collar or, or choke chain or something like just enough to get the behavior that I'm asking of them and have it happen quickly. And then I want them to feel uncomfortable so that when they feel that later in life, it's not stressful. It's like, Oh, it's just a bigger infraction. And then it comes back down to normal working level. And when I say that, I hope people understand that I'm not, they're not remote controls. I'm not pushing it every time. I'm not pushing it their entire life. It's just during this process here, stimulation, continuous, it's uncomfortable. They get to me, pressure turned off, praise. Walk them back, do it again, do it again, do it again. And all of a sudden you see that momentum, that little fire under their butt to haul butt to me. And then they're like, hey, hey, I did it. And they're like bouncing around and pumped up that they got to me super quick. And then I'll trick them where when I start seeing them get real snappy, turning that pressure off, I will say it. They beat the pressure, so they complied so quickly with sit or hear or, you know, coming back into heel that the pressure's not there. And they're like, wait a minute, the faster I go, nothing happens. The more, like, and you're just creating this snappy response, okay? So that's collar conditioning in a three-minute nutshell. How did we, oh, so now we, we're talking about here and a here. So if you had not properly collar conditioned, then I would say it's not fair to ever put collar correction on a dog or that, you know, they're doing like a big loopy retrieve coming back to you, right? Or they run behind you 10 feet and then come into heel. Those would be the examples I would maybe do it with, okay? So they understand here with the stimulation means get to me quickly and life is good. And then because of the force fetch process, they understand all the mechanics of doing it properly. So when you give the here, Nick, here, it doesn't freak them out. They go, oh, I better hurry up to him. And your big loopy return turns into a direct line. And you might have to do it once or twice. And then all of a sudden, that little dog is bang, 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 instead of parading around and, you know, taking their leisurely time or showing avoidance behavior of like, you know, sometimes we see it on T pattern, they're bored, um, it's monotonous, whatever. And they'll just start kind of loping back to you or like shopping the pile a little bit or whatever you want, little here, neck here. And then the next several sends, we got beauty. So did that answer your question, Jeremy? Yeah, probably more so than I was even really digging into there. But yeah, I, okay. I, I'm just trying to have a, a clarification of, or an under, a clear understanding on my end of some of the process stuff. So I didn't mean yeah. to drag us down into the 
the well, I, what I'm a, I don't think it's off track because I, I want, if you have that question, 800 other people or 8,000 other people are going to have that question. And so without, and that's why I actually would like you to take a five minute segment if, if it is okay to maybe go over your process of your basic obedience and maybe like your hold, because that would be how we can sort of debate it so that people understand where, how you get it to that level. Yeah, that that's where I was headed next anyway. Bob, Bob just t- took my job from me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so your definition to me, to recap it, your definition of the of force fetch is two pronged. It's, hey, I clean up my delivery. I get a good delivery. And I enter into this world of, of we're going to train going forward. And maybe it sounds like prior to you've already prepped for this. This idea of the way I want you to learn things is, avoid this uncomfortable potential uncomfortable thing that I'm going to do to you by be, by doing the right behavior. I, I, it's, it's, it's avoidance training with the idea of you get to, you get to me fast enough. Eventually, if this works, you get to me fast enough. If you don't get nicked, like, right. That's what you said right, right at the very end there. That's like, yeah. Yeah. That, get, that's basically, you can, you can beat this pressure by just doing what I ask of you. Yes. So there's a process that they have to take that pressure prior to in order to get to where you want them to be. Correct. So, so I personally look at it and I go, I don't, I'm just not comfortable with it. I don't like the idea of that. I don't like putting the dog through it. I think there's, um, for me, there's issues that I, I see that are bigger, would create bigger issues than help in those situations. For me personally, and with the dogs I'm training. Now, I like the idea of you had asked, you know, what about your obedience? Because I do think that it's so built on obedience and it's so built on foundation, everything we're doing. And I think we'll all agree on that Yep. specifically to the idea of how it relates to delivery, which I I've had to really think about myself when preparing for this. And quite honestly, for years, I've hated the idea of force fetch. I've watched enough people do it that I absolutely hate it. I, I just hate it. I, and, and, it forced me to go and like watch, look online and in preparation for this, I tried to really find some force fetch videos and it's And I do think it's hard to find the ones that I watched people do because the ones that don't have cameras on them don't look like the ones that do have cameras on them. I, I just, I'm being honest. That's my experience. Like, so that bothered me. What really bothered me was seeing these dogs go through it. And I talked to the buddy about it and he said, yeah, because years ago it fired me up. And I really wanted to like be a crusader. I don't know if you, Bill Tarrant, you ever hear of Bill Tarrant? Um, real, he's written some really good books. There's a guy, Mike Gould wrote a story about him. It's called, he loved the dog. I'd recommend it. It's really, really good. But he was a strong advocate against a lot of this force stuff early on. Um, it, it, he's a real interesting guy. But so I read this book about him and I realized, boy, he, he kind of fired me up with the idea of be a crusader for these dogs. Someone's got to represent these dogs. But then I realized it's none of my damn business. <laughs> like, I, that's not my job. I shouldn't be the guy to tell someone else how they should or shouldn't do stuff because I don't want anybody telling me how I should or should do stuff. So what I, what I, I kind of had to like pull the reins back a little bit and be like, no, that's not, that's not what you should do. Focus instead on sharing what you're doing for those who maybe are interested in that, maybe don't want to do it that way that I don't like. So mm-hmm. I've had to like throughout this whole conversation, I'm going to have to really temper myself at times because I'm going to have to turn the heat down because I'll get worked up. You can tell already I, I'm an emotional person, man. I like, I, 
I cried at the end of Aaron Brockovich. Like I'm really, really <laughs> <laughs> a random movie to pull in. <laughs> true, man. It's true. It's hard. So what I, what I look at is I don't want to see the dogs go through that. My dogs would not respond to it. Well, I, I just don't believe that. And it, I think it would hurt my relationship with the dog's big picture. Okay. So that's part of, part of why I do this. So for me, I, I realized I've really studied it and I've realized Back in the day, I would have said, you have to do something with every retriever. Like you have, there's, there's never been a retriever that I would have said, you can't not do something formal to clean up the delivery. Now, my reasoning for it is not to teach the dog to learn going forward or prior to, as far as like other stuff that's non-retriever related. Like when I say retriever related, I mean like the retrieve. It is exclusively for me to to polish up and and really put a, a shine on a delivery, which means eliminating some things that are pretty common. Like dog, uh, I had a dog recently that I that I helped uh, did whole conditioning with because she would get such momentum coming back to me, she'd run past me. Mm-hmm. I put up with it for a while. I put up with her a while. She's pretty young, and I liked her enthusiasm. In fact, so I didn't put it on. I didn't. I, I didn't, I waited, I waited. Finally, I just got so tired of b- bitching about it because she just keep running past me and I got to call her back to me and kind of regroup her. And she, she would, she would be too excited towards the end there. I needed her to come back in a little bit more control for me personally. So I, I did whole conditioning with her and it slowed her down those last few steps and it brought her in and she looked real pretty and it was nice and stylish. I liked the look of it. it it's partly as aesthetics, quite honestly, but it's functional as well. So for me, that's why I do whole conditioning. Now, what I what I realized was I just trained a dog. The I just sold a dog, started to a friend of mine. Uh, he was a little over a year old. It's the first dog in 22 years of labs that I can t- that I told him, I said, you don't have to even whole condition him. Not even fucking whole condition him. And I'm like, and he's no way. I said, I'm telling you. It's a combination of a few things. I've gotten way better at not making mistakes early on. So like, this is why I think this is such a great platform for this conversation is because it's gun dog it yourself. It's training it, training your own dog. Like I think there's a distinct difference between how I'm doing this and how I would be doing this if I was a pro trainer. How many dogs do you have in training? 25. If I had 25 dogs in training, I couldn't do it this way. I, I, I just, I don't know that I could do that. So there's a difference. There's a big difference between us right off the bat. But for me, I look at it with these dogs and I go, if I don't fuck this up in the first place, I don't have to fix it. Like I I've learned that. So with this little dog, I was so conscious of from literally like I, probably seven to eight weeks old when, when they're weaned off, when, when puppies have gone home and now I'm focusing on one, it's not just this pack thing anymore. These dogs, first off, they had tendencies to carry stuff. Most retrievers do. So yep. they carry stuff around. I right from the beginning, I looked at that and I went, I have to make sure that this creates good habits. So like I encourage dogs to come to me carrying stuff and holding stuff. I don't take stuff away from them. They take my wife's expensive shoes. I'm not hollering at that puppy for chewing up those shoes. I'm making that dog think like it's him did something right and it treated to me and it delivered to me. So I look at every retreat at the very beginning as a real important tool. I got your dog mad at me already. (laughs) No. So, so, so I'm looking at that more important than ever. And I did not do a good job of this early on explaining how important it was for myself and for anyone else that's doing this to not make the mistake in the first place. If you don't create symptoms, you don't have to 
create cures. And so I think that hold conditioning for me, a lot of times was polishing the retrieve, but a lot of times the things that it was fixing, which it might be a dog that wanted to run off, might be a dog that wanted to run past me, might be a dog that wanted to drop short, might be a dog that had a little bit, not, not a real nice hold. And when I mean, when I mean nice, I mean like, I'm picky about this shit right from the start. When the dogs come in and they have it out of center in their mouth, if it's a dummy and they're carrying it out of center in their mouth, I'm not accepting it. We're going to reposition it. And then I'm going to put it back in and then I'm going to ask him to bring it to me again and bring it to me again. And I'll get four or five. When I say bring it to me, I mean, they're standing there. They just literally hold it. And so as I reposition it and I make sure that that hold is perfect, perfect, then I take it from them and I tell them how good they are. That is, if I do that from the beginning, there's going to be a point where with most dogs, I do think I'll have to do some type of hold conditioning. But this last dog that I did, I don't even have to do it. So is that- Can you the, describe your hold conditioning for everyone? Yeah. So if I do a formal hold conditioning, I'm doing it very similar in looks to how you do your hold. It's exact. It's I don't know if there's a lot different to it. I elevate them because I want them to get up off their feet because I think it takes away a little bit of confidence from them and it allows them to focus on me. I start out with a wooden dowel only because this is a big thing. I didn't do a good job of explaining either. I use a wooden dowel only because if a dog responds to this in a bad way, I don't want to connect it to something I want them to like. I don't want dummies in their mouths. So I don't care if they don't like the dowel. I do care if they don't like the dummy. So I'm starting out with a wooden dowel. And as soon as they take the wooden dowel in and don't make a big deal out of it, I don't have to stick with a wooden dowel. I can go with whatever objects I'm going to. And eventually I got to use a bunch of different objects because if I want them to pick it up, I'll put it in, I'll put it in at some point during hold conditioning. And it's a real easy way for them to pick that up. But I'm going to just simply put dummies into their mouths, put dowels into their mouths to start out with until they start holding it the way I want them to, which is I want their eyes on me. I want their chins up because I look at it this way because they're elevated and they're kind of eye level with me. I want their chins up because when they're down on the ground, if their chins up, they can't drop it. Like I'm going to use gravity to help. If you open your mouth and your mouth is down and you open it, it'll drop. So I don't want that. So like, I'm just real particular about the positioning of the dog and how it's holding. And it's got to be really in a good state of mind. Like I want this thing. There's a big difference between your process and, and what I like to do. And that was one of the things that I, this is just based on what I watched. Cause I bought Bob's video. I, I called Bob. I told him, I said, Hey man, I'm having a hard time going through this thing. And so I ended up, I bought it and I watched it. I've watched it twice. So when when I there's a a list of things that I've made like ah here's the thing here's the thing here's the thing one of the things that you said in it was I'm gonna get 50 repetitions out of this I'm gonna get a lot of repetitions out of this it's gonna be we're gonna go we're gonna get a lot of reps on the table it was with one of those young dogs Ash maybe was the name of the dog little 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 young dog mm-hmm. and I look at it and go I would rather have three good ones than 50 of them that are not good. Like to me, to me, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. So yeah. like I would rather have that dog literally get up there and hold it two or three good times. It doesn't have to be long, but two or three good times is more valuable to me and get out of it and be done. So like that's that's me personally. So I'll get those little sessions. I I think I it's important to progress to get their feet moving, holding these things. Like I'll do that for a while. I'll put them on, I'll move them to the ground for a while and move them. I'll take steps away from them and recall them to me holding it. This is all over a period of time. Like this is how long do you think every dog is so different. I've had some dogs go through it very quickly. What I consider quickly, meaning like from the day I put them up on the table 
Some days, some dogs, I don't even put a dummy in their mouth or a dowel in their mouth the first couple of days. Right. Like, yeah. I just, so, so I look at it this way. Like, here's the, here's another difference. I want the dog to be sitting. I tether them. So I have a, I have a little, little tab that I tether them off to. And I want them to be sitting because I find that they oftentimes will brace. Like when they get up there, they're uncomfortable and they'll brace against it. Like meaning they put a little bit of pressure to their neck. I won't even think about doing anything until they literally come to a physical sigh. Like, and just and relax. And now all of a sudden I watch and that little tab that's behind them went from this to this. It just showed a little bit of bowl or flex. And now I look at it and I go, well, the dog's ready to learn. Mentally, he's ready there. So I might now if I go to make a move and all of a sudden they tighten back up, no, we're not quite there yet. So that stuff, some depending on the dog, some are real uncomfortable with it, some settle in pretty good. When I put dummies into their mouths, I've had some dogs where I do it for for days on end. I've had some dogs where I can move forward in the next day. Like it's just there's I don't I don't know that I can tell you that it's a time. On average, I would say from start to finish, maybe four weeks. Like on gotcha. average, I, I won't tell anybody that because then they'll go, well, it's four weeks. I should move on. Exactly. Um, so let me ask you a question to kind of begin the debate on. You, you explained your process very thoroughly. Um, I felt like I explained mine pretty thoroughly. Should we get into like, you know, I understand hold that's you do it longer than I do. But at the end, if the dog gives a crap, it's hanging on to something brings it to you, doesn't drop it, doesn't mouth it, doesn't chomp, doesn't spit, doesn't get out of the water. Like the the thing for me is having an understanding of how I do it where I'll give an example. Let's say you have a dog that brings the bumper to hand and drops it. Let's say it is a repeat offender and you're just constantly staying patient, constantly putting it back in their mouth, constantly popping them under the jaw, hold, tapping it on either end, hold, maybe do a little heel. Are you talking like, is this during hold conditioning or is this during training? Like this training. You've done your hold conditioning. You're done. But it's just a repeat. You wouldn't be done then? No, I couldn't be. So here's, this is the thing about, this is the thing about hold conditioning for me. Once I make a commitment to it, so like, I don't typically do it very early. Like, uh, the dog that I was talking about that would run past me, um, mm-hmm. her, her name is Bella. So in, but this was, this was several years ago. We, we filmed it. It was on, we did a whole YouTube series on her. So this dog, I, w- I hold conditioned her at about 14 months. Yeah. So, so, so for, for a year, you know, I, she I was allowed to get away prior to hold conditioning. So once I go to hold conditioning, I'm committed. Like I, I, I put, I probably put whole conditioning off more often than not, because it's just not, I just don't enjoy it that much. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I get it. Boring. Right. So yeah. I'm a procrastinator, I'm a procrastinator with it. But finally with this dog, I just got fed up of saying to the camera every day that we filmed, oh, I got to fix that. I got to fix that. Finally, I just said, why don't you freaking fix it instead of yeah. talking about it? So I said, let's do whole condition. So we put her up and we did whole conditioning. It didn't take that long. Uh, we have a whole series on her of doing the whole conditioning in addition to her training. But so what I, what I, once I do it, I'm committed, which means once it comes off of, once I come off of that freezer and I go to the ground, the dog can't drop it anymore. Like he's not allowed. She's not allowed to. Like it doesn't. But what if they do? I go back on the freezer and I go, you went too fast. Like if she, she's committing the habit, I didn't teach it to her. So that's where I look at it and I go, I can't reinforce stuff 
forever. I want conclusive training, meaning you don't make the mistake anymore. So it becomes so habitual, you can't do it wrong. And then you come down and then we go to retrieving. And so when I come down to the ground, then I go to, I typically go to my front porch because it's a nice little canal. Then I go from the front porch to the other side of the front porch where it's the, the yard, but I'm still kind of using the exact same line, straight edge. And then I'll move to my opposite side of the yard. Like I take these incremental steps that just kind of add a little bit more freedom, a little bit more freedom, a little bit more freedom. And it's more this idea of proofing what I've done to ensure that it's good. And as long as it's good, we move forward, we move forward, we move forward. And I've become so damn patient with it. We just move forward real slowly. And next thing you know, we're back into retrieving. And when I go back to where I left off prior to hole conditioning the dog comes in from the retrieve and she slows up and she sits down and she holds her chin up to me and i take the dummy from her and i go god damn i should have done that earlier because that's that's what i needed so yeah i if if i have a dog that drops later down the road you're not i'm not i didn't do i didn't hold condition them like i look at it as way way big mistake on my part i obviously went too fast okay i feel like this is a question that i get a lot where folks have you know, either followed you or followed Cornerstone or followed Wild Rose and did the no collar, no force fetch. This is like where a lot of their struggles are, right? Like a, uh, dropping out of water to shake off and and then either pick it up or don't pick it up. And now we've got a, what do I do in that situation? It's like, well, yeah, so that's those are things, right? So that specific example is great. So like, so back to prior to hold conditioning, like when I do it, when I start getting a dog to retrieve out of water, like when this this is before I formally hold, hold with them. So this goes back to the idea of you shouldn't, I should not be doing hold conditioning until I have done a hell of a lot of work before hold conditioning to make sure that they are as close close to the finished product that I want, but it's inevitable. There's going to be some of these hiccups. There's going to be these dogs that just don't do it perfectly because we just didn't necessarily put the polish to it. But it's like starting with a block of wood. Like you could start with a giant log or you could take a log that's been whittled down to be the shape of a gun stock, but not sure. Like I'm not going to start if you're, if you're building a new gun stock out of a gun, it's a lot bigger project with a log than it is uh, a blank that's been cut out and in rough shape of that they're both not finished but it's right. a lot easier to start with the one that's roughed out so I, my job is to rough it out from day one like retrieve number one and be mm-hmm. super consistent with it going forward the idea of when they come out of the water you know how i get my i, my, I, I love this because people always talk about how well, your dog comes out and spits out of the water it's a natural thing. I don't think they like the idea that water just running off of them. So what do I do? I go in the water with them and I retrieve forever in the water with them so that they never even get their bodies out of the water to the point where they get so used to delivering it to me where I'm, they never even got out of the water. Then I take one step. And so now the dog comes to the edge and they get to the edge of the water and it's literally like one foot out of the water. And here I am repeating the exact same thing we've done multiple times before. Good. And I take another step and another step. And as soon as they get to the point, so here's the beauty of these dogs are so smart and so willing to do what I want them to do. It's a beautiful thing. They come to the edge of the water and they look to like, they're going to shake. Cause I can read it. I can see they're going right. to shake. Ah, ah, ah. And they go, whoop. Their eyes get big and they go, whoop. Good. Take it from you. Now, all of a sudden they get to this edge and they go, I got to get this to him. Now, 
if it, I, I also think it's a sequential thing. Like I'm not going to necessarily look for a dog to come out of water and I'm 30 yards away from it at a young, young age and be like, no, you're not allowed to do that. I, so don't set them up to fail. Go stand next to the water. Right. So don't give them the chance to screw it up. Yeah. So there's a couple thoughts I have. One, I find the dogs that I raise, right? Like my puppies, they just tend to do the same stuff you're doing, right? Because I take the time to do all the things that are right. And so when I go to hold, man, they are like, I already have them as my, my four month old puppy sleeping in a crate over there. I'll tease him with a bumper as we're doing fun bumpers out in the yard. And he comes around, he grabs it, fetch the boy. Oh, what a good dog. And he's carrying it around. And I pet him just like you do. You know, I'm, he's, I don't take it away right away. I pet him, I nurture a natural hold. So all the dogs that I raise, they have been nurtured in a way where as I take these sequential steps in my program, man, they breathe through it. It's not hard. It's seamless. The caveat I have, and it's maybe not the right answer, or I don't know how to word it the right way, but I have four months to make a gun dog for someone. And mind you, when I get them, they some of them have never swam. Some of them have never done a fun bumper. Some of them have never seen a duck. Some of them have never been on a leash. Some of them, I mean, they grab, they haul ass out and grab a bumper and then just keep on going and take hot laps. And so as much as I, I appreciate your methodologies and I think the gun dog at yourselfer who doesn't want to send their dog to a trainer, you know, they learn these methodologies to hopefully not have to train out bad habits. Does that make sense? Like legit Mike Stewart in his DVD he says he wants to nurture good habits from the beginning so that later on in life, he doesn't have to train them out. And I take that to, to heart as well. Um, I don't want to play tug of war. I don't want them to grab a stuffed animal toy that your friend gets you when you get a puppy. Cause that's like a cool, cute gift. And the puppy shakes the hell out of it, you know, and rips the squeaker out and pulls the stuffing out. Like I just allowed them to do something that later on they, they, I don't want them to do with a mallard duck, but I don't have the luxury of raising all these puppies. So I'm getting this raw block of log that we've got to now whittle down into a, you know, gun stock in a four month period. And so the beauty of this, the programs that I do is we can nurture retrieve drive. We can nurture we can nurture positive reinforcement. We can nurture natural instinct. But in essence, they still have a ton of bad habits that I've got to fix so that at the end of the four-month program, they are steady. They're quiet. They're a pleasure to be around. They're not jumping and barking at people. They're And they're doing their job appropriately, right? And so I, I hear what you're saying, and I appreciate the patience that it takes to go from eight weeks old to 16 months old and have a dog that, you know, I would like to see that 16 month old running land blinds, you know, not good ones with all honesty, but they should be leaving my side and handling and, you know, steady and doing doubles and, you know, really, you know, getting into some of the really fun stuff. And 
I think some of that compulsionary style of training that we do can knock bad habits out way quicker with a lot less stress, with a lot less patience, if you will. But it's like if I taught them how to do things the right way, when they don't do it the right way, I can boom instantaneously make a correction. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I know how to do it the right way. And it's done. I don't have to wait months to get them to deliver nicely. You know, as as an example. Hey, how about that Kent cartridge, baby? They got that fast steel 2.0. If you're not in the market for bismuth, I get it. But fast steel 2.0 is a great option for you and your dog to get more ducks in the bag. Strap them up, strap them in. Kent fast steel 2.0. Let's go. Hey, it's not only the food that fuels the truck of lone duck, but we also worry about that gut health. Sometimes the dogs get a little bit of rumbling in the tummies, and I like to help them out get all balanced with this product that Purina provides called Fortiflora basically a probiotic and you sprinkle a little bit of these pouches on the dog's food so for instance if i'm driving to a hunt test and they're rattling around on the trailer and you know sometimes their stomachs can get a little upset from stress movement anything that four to floor can really help balance them out get them back to feeling good and get ready to run so check it out it's purina's four to flora boom so, so this actually goes in perfectly with with a clarification question I was going to to throw out to both of you guys. And Jeremy, I'll start with you. Earlier, you said that after watching uh, numerous force fetch programs and so on and so forth, you you think that uh, your program results in less repetitions, right? And uh, compared to maybe Bob's and, and and where he has to cram in so many reps within those four months, you're kind of spacing them out over time. I'm curious to get both of y'all's thoughts. May I make a clarification on that many reps thing? Because I understood what he was saying. I remember that video as well. That dog, I was trying to build momentum on on it. And maybe, again, some of your critiques of my program, Jeremy, are warranted. And like, we're, we're going to do one. I think you were talking about Ash, where she kind of squealed a little bit. And you'd like to see her get confident. We're going to add to our program so that people can see that. Um, but it depends on the dog sitting in front of me doing the task. If they're already super snappy, then I'm going to have them slow down. It's like the old adage, a fast dog moves slow, a slow dog moves fast. So in maybe that moment in that video, I wanted to see that dog like get in a rhythm of like, boom, I feel this, boom, I do that. Boom, I feel this, boom, I do that. And And I built this like momentum with them. And then you should... All right, now let's slow down. Now let's think about things. Let's go slower. Let's let's hold a little more. Let's walk on up and down the table. Now sit. Okay, let's go again. So my my methodology isn't always many, many reps. It's quality reps, but sometimes to get what I want, I want to do more, slow them down, do less. Do more to build momentum, slow down and do less. So right. I, just to clarify, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, and, and ultimately that that's... So Jeremy's perfect example of getting out of the water, him going in the water, taking a step back, taking a step back. And it's very sequential. It's very progressive. Uh, you're building off of the the previous step. Uh, but like Jeremy just said, he might be doing this at 14, 16 months old, whereas Bob, you were just talking about you might be doing this at six months old and you have four months to cram it in. I know it's generalities, you know, the, the yeah. nuances. Yeah. But overall, do we think that, around about on the average dog 
it takes the same number of reps, whether you're spacing it out over a year and a half or whether you're cramming it in within a four-month program. Does that make sense? It's all dependent on the dog. It's all based yeah. on the dog. Like I, agree six month, I have six-month-old dogs that will learn quicker than 16-month-old dogs. It, it's yeah. all based on the IQ. It's based on the natural inherent traits of the dog. So it, this is fucking great, guys. I love this stuff. Because, <laughs> I love it too. So, so here's, here's a – Bob, you brought up a very, very good point that has to be addressed. It's in my notes on my phone right now. There's a difference in how you train and how I train. No question mm-hmm. about it. It's for reasons. So you, and and I want to be very clear too. I'm not trying to convince a professional trainer that's training 25, 30 dogs in a kennel to do it the way I prefer to do it and to avoid and to stop doing it how they're doing. I don't care if you guys do it. I don't care. If you guys need to do that, do it. I don't like it. I don't like it for the dog's sake. But here's, here's the thing that has to be understood. You're, I'm not, when you are giving instruction to people like me, because I bought your video, you're selling that video to folks with what, with the intentions of what them to train their dogs, right? Not Correct. for them to send them to you. Correct. So what I think has to be understood is when we have professional trainers, like it's this idea of like influencers in the world, like it. it and and I, we use the word influencers these days because of social media, but Let's be honest, guys. Since the beginning of time, there are influencers in the world who, who help influence what happens and what happens, to what, why, and how people do things. So before social media, there was influencers. So we just, I think, are in this bubble of it now, and it's so magnified. But all that being said, like I think it's a responsibility of us. I, I take it as a big responsibility. If I'm going to explain stuff, I'm not necessarily doing it to tell you how to do it or how not to do it. I am trying to share how I do it because I feel confident in the way I do it. And I got to correct this too. I don't have a program. I know you've got, we've referred to it as your program. I don't have a fucking program. Like yeah. I've learned, I've learned so many different things from so many different people and hybrided it all together. Like just recently I've watched this. I, I met with a, this guy that I'm, I'm doing some stuff with, and he he spent some time over in England, and he told me he said, hey, "Here's one thing that we do over there is we'll get down on our we'll literally get down on our hands and knees with these puppies and just put our hands behind the back when the puppy comes in." I go, "Man, that sounds really good to me. Like it's a body language thing. So you're down on your hands and knees. I get down and I put my arms out like this, and I'm trying to welcome them in, and that can be read by that dog to be a little bit pushy." And they want to move away. So he said, what do you do? Put your hands behind your back, hide your hands and let the dog climb up into you. So he's doing that with his puppies all the time when they've got dummies in their mouths. I go, fuck, I love that, man. Then you work your hand around and you start touching on their hindquarters a bit. And we start putting some physical feel to them. It has nothing to do with the dummy in their mouth. And it's just affection. And this dog is starting to understand. I just bring my thing to him. So we're bringing out what they naturally have. So my point with that is like, I'm learning shit all the time. So we, I don't have a program. But what I'm doing is the guy who all the dogs that I'm training right now are sitting in my living room right now. I can see them all like they're, they're all laying around me right now. So and for someone, cause I trained clients, dogs, I intentionally set it up. Now this is a terrible business model if you're a professional dog trainer, because you won't be able to do it this way. I don't put timelines on any of my training. So when someone buys a dog from me, they pay for the dog. When the dog gets delivered to them, that's an agreed price before we even start. 
So if it takes me 12 months or it takes me 16 months or it takes me eight months, and those are three different dramatic time frames that I've done and sold dogs right. for the exact same price. Because when that dog's ready, when that person's ready, and when I'm ready, that's when it goes home. Well, what does that sound like? It sounds like I'm training my own damn dog because that's how I do it. And that's why Nick, this is your platform is so intriguing to me and so interesting to me. And so in, I like the idea of it, but I think what we have to recognize is those who are influencing those who are trying to do it themselves, GDIY it. If we're looking at Bob's situation where Bob says, I got a four month window, I have X, Y, and Z that has to get done. And I got, I got to have ways to do it. I think that's logical. I don't like it, but I think it's logical if that's your business. But I think we should be really, really transparent about that and go, if you're a professional trainer at home and have a four-month window to do this with your dog, this might be the technique you have to use, especially if you fucked it up from the beginning. Like if you made a bunch of mistakes in the beginning. Which they all do. Have a big hammer to, to, to fix that stuff. And I'm looking at it and going, hey, guys, you, I'm not a, I'm not a kennel like you, Bob. You know what I would do? I'd advocate for the idea of let's get all these people to do the right things in the beginning, push yeah. as hard as I can to make sure their time, they're patient, they're not nourished. I have people that are retrieving and doing shit with dogs that call me all the time. They're doing stuff with six months old dogs that I wouldn't be doing until they're 14, 16 months old. Right. And I go, dude, you're, you're 10 months ahead of me. I'm pretty good. I'm not, I'm not the best, but I'm pretty good. And I'm not even near where you're doing, trying to do with these dogs, but they're having the issues. And I go, right. you know why you're having the issues? Cause you're so far ahead of where you need to be. Right. We gotta, I think that's like, a great point that you're making. Um, I, I, I find that the people we're helping on social media and these podcasts, they've already botched it for breeding or raising or genetics, or education on their end, and now they're drinking from a garden hose or a fire hose to catch up or fix the holes in their training. A lot of things that we talk about is holes in training where the dog truly doesn't understand what's being asked of them, um, which then as you progress, they they show themselves, right? Like they rear their ugly head that they're dropping it at the water's edge. They're, it rears their ugly head when they're running away from you uh with the bumper in their mouth or whatever the case may be or or taking a duck and and eating it right like there's so many things that and, and you're right maybe i shouldn't have come out with like a force fetch course first it just happens to be one of the main things people ask me about so i'm like well give it sure, to totally, them but, totally. but like how to more how to raise it than anything it's yeah it's question yeah so i just think showing them the best way to actually raise the puppy so that you don't have as many problems that you have to fix later is a great way to develop a good retriever with, with the comment about this. Yeah, go for it. That stuff, the stuff that is, that is important to be done prior to the fix the problems type stuff. Do you think that stuff is as a rule, would you call that easy or hard to do? Easy. Okay. They fucked that up already. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're you're putting them, now you're giving them the idea of now put physical pressure on the dog. And some of this shit is pretty physical, right? I mean, let's be honest. Yours is not that bad, Bob. I I watched your video. I hate it when that little dog squealed like that. I will, Mm -hmm. I'll talk about that later. But so the, the part that you're showing for people to try to do to fix the stuff they've already made the mistake on 
I think that's even harder. I think that requires better understanding of feeling connection and trust and timing with the dog. And if they can't do the easy stuff, how the hell are they going to do that to fix the stuff that's already fucked up? I mean, well, I think it's partially my job. I I probably have to bleep some of this stuff, Nick, but I get worked up. I got it. (laughs) No, I, I think you shouldn't believe it. I love it. Um, no, I think so to maybe, uh, back myself up on why I think that's why I think it's so important to give them one, give them a course where dogs aren't doing it perfect, where I'm doing it with the dog for the first time. So that little dog, Ash, that was squealing, sure. turns out that she was more of a, like on anything, she was more vocal on anything. She just was more likely to let out noises or whatever. That was her personality. And you the sweetest dog you had, man, that dog was super sweet. Yeah. She turned you out freaking two awesome. You had two videos of her, right? Thanks. And I kind of rushed it too. If you remember, like she yeah, did so good at hold on day one. I'm like, oh, for video purposes, let's get after it. And yes, you're right. And now, I don't want to, I see I'm getting, I'm cutting you off. Uh, you're keep good. Going. You're good. So, you know, for video purposes and to teach people, like, I think this little dog is crushing it. Um, let's see how she responds to this. And she responded adversely. And I ended up after like a five, 10 minute session with her, she was opening her mouth, reaching for the bumper. But the first few times she felt that uncomfortability on her toe, which was very light, she was like wigging out. And how did I corral her? How did I make her be, show her how to be successful? How did I get her to turn that pressure off of the toe? And to Jeremy's point, one of his criticisms was I, he wished he saw that dog three, four days in a row so that he could have seen that little dog start hammering it and be confident and not feel uh, stressed. And I wish I had shown it because she was a prime example of someone who ended up breezing through the forefetch process quickly with a great attitude. And she had, that little dog was super good, like younger than she should have been through my program and, and was great. So, you know, did she have a little hiccup? Sure. But I guess it gave people the opportunity to see, like, this could happen to you. This is how I help them. This is how I get them to be successful. So what I hope that people don't get the gist of the podcast today is, like, Bob's hard on dogs. (laughs) Force fetch and e-collars are super hard. And dogs have a poor attitude afterwards. And I know that I almost wish, Jeremy, me and you could train together so you could see 25 dogs come off my truck and maybe three of them have crappy attitudes. I can think of two at least. And it's who they are. They got poor work ethic. They don't give a crap. They, you know, if it's a something fun, they love it. So I had to do things in a process to show them you may not like it, but we got to do it. And then I'm hoping as they mature that that light bulb goes off that this is fun too. Where some folks that we get phone calls and emails and Instagram stuff, it's like, you know, that dog just it, it, give it away, give it to someone else <laughs> as a pet because it's, or we have to go through and well, really build that up. I, th- I think it's have realistic expectations. Don't you like having sorry, realistic man. expectations? Yeah. So I, I, I really, I love this conversation because this is, I, I am not a pro trainer. I am that average Joe Schmo that figured it out on my own, Jeremy, that, that you're talking to. And, and ultimately, I kind of agree with you overall on this topic to where 
the, by the way, me too. Yeah. The, the important information for the average handler is to do it correctly from the puppy on up. But like you guys alluded to, the average person screws it up. And I was one of those people. When I first started out, I screwed it up because the, the quote unquote influencers, the people that were out there, it was so hard to gain that information and learn that information without putting your hands on the dogs. It was extremely complicated. And so ultimately what I find interesting is I agree with everything you just said. I want to get your take on something to where we talk about the intangible benefits to something like force fetch. And I'm your perfect example of this to where I didn't necessarily understand how a dog learned and how it avoids pressure or progression or building off the previous step until I attempted force fetch. So I was the guy you're talking about on my first dog to where I was a screwing it up left and right. And I just gritted my teeth and got through it. And then when we got on the table, it was like a light bulb went off on my in my head to where I then understood how to sequentially and progressively go through steps with these dogs. So I agree in the fact that you ideally in a perfect world, we want these people to understand that information uh, before getting to force fetch. But it is extremely hard when we talk to as many people as all three of us do on a daily basis through social media, Patreon, emails, whatever. You guys know as well as I do, when you're talking to the average person, their eyes glaze over when you start talking about crate training leading into place training at the food dish and and all that other stuff. They want to get into the sexy stuff immediately. And so what's your suggestion? I I guess both y'all, what's y'all's thoughts on how do we do a better job getting that information and making people prioritize this? Because all three of us just agreed on the same exact point. Yeah. Hell, I think it's easy. Be honest. I, I, I mean, it's not all about fun retrieving. It, you, you create a lot of you, with a retriever. You create a lot of these issues with too much retrieving, in my opinion. Like, I, I just think that's 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 easy to see. I think that we have to, like Bob and Bob. I'm not picking on you. I know you got thick skin, so I can say shit like this. But you, in your video, you with Ash, the second session you did with Ash is the same day. It was a few minutes later, I think you said, and you said, normally I wouldn't do this, but she did so well in that first session. I'm going to go into the second one. I'm going to put toe hitch on her and you put toe hitch on her. And I look at that and I go, you telling me that those people that are watching that aren't, I've heard people tell me how good their dogs are and how quickly they pick up on stuff and how smart they are. And I, they're six months doing what I'm not doing at 16 months. So I know they're fast to, to start out with. So I guarantee you that people watched that and went, he did it. Look at his dog. I'm going to do it too. It's do as I say, not do as I do. And I don't think that that's how we should do this. I think we need to be honest with people. I'm it's you run the risk of sounding like an old man and being boring. And guess what? I listen to Dwight Yoakam. <laughs> like I'm not, <laughs> I like that old stuff, but I'm, I'm slower. And so do I have to explain it and be honest about it and say, this shit takes a lot longer. If you're going to do it yourself, it takes a lot longer. I also think you should say, hey, I'm a pro. I got a four-month window, and I got to get a hell of a lot of stuff done, and it's not very easy to do. It's very challenging to do, and I'm going to put your dog through some things that that the other guy that doesn't do it this fast is not going to subject him to. Make so, so I just would ask you to be careful of saying subject them to, right? Because then it puts a negative connotation on this methodology. What would, how would you describe it? 
I, I'm going to do stuff that the other guy's not going to do with them. I'm not yeah, going to not different method. It's just a okay. methodology. Sure. So a lot of what I would say, I don't have to nitpick a dog. I don't have to, I don't, I feel like some, and maybe this is me putting words in your mouth or other people's mouth in my uh, opinion of what I see a lot of folks having to do. And it's, it's not always creating the dog who's fired up and eager to do it. It's like, this is boring. Maybe I'll get to go. Maybe I'll get to do this or that. And, and I'm that, no, I'm not pointing fingers at you, by the way, on this stuff. I'm just, no, I think it's this the is first thing. That, yeah. It's just the first thing that came to my mind. So not a point the finger moment, but I want to have a dog that's so excited to go to work every day with a positive attitude. And I think that, when you say things like you're subjecting them to an e-collar, when you're subjecting them to force fetch, it puts a negative spin. And what I would love to dispel that it's not negative. It really helps dogs learn. And it also helps dogs when they get to advanced levels where they're on a 200-yard blind retrieve and they try and cheat a corner of a pond. I can make an instantaneous correction that changes the behavior, shows them the right way to do it. And now I don't have to do it all the time. I don't have to walk out there. I don't have to um, show them 30 times that take some of that drive and fun away from it, like the proverbial beating a dead horse. Explain and so I think... Me, go ahead. Explain to me that, that last example. I don't have to go out 200 yards because they cheated a corner of a pond to make a sure. retrieve. Explain to me the scenario there. In, in, it doesn't have to be in de great detail, but what, yeah. what are you training for at that moment? So for me, I'm training for competitions. Okay. So in order, yeah, like that, so again, that's a little bit of apples right and oranges. You nailed yeah. it right there. Like, and, and not to cut you off of it, but like that's a very specific thing that you're training for competition. And so no different than a pro trainer versus an amateur trainer. What you're training for, what is the objectives? Like. I don't compete with my dogs. I hunt with them. I, I know some people compete with their dogs and hunt with them. And I some, sure. you know some people just compete with their dogs. I think that it makes total logical sense with a lot of these philosophies. If you're going to ask your dogs to do things that are in competition, it's a faster way to teach what I feel is somewhat of an unnatural thing. Like it's hundred totally, percent unnatural. Yeah. I totally think that makes sense. I don't think it makes sense for the guy who's training a hunting dog. And when I say a hunting dog, a lot of times it's just a hunting dog. And I smack that guy right back in the, I don't literally do it, but I get so pissed <laughs> off when you say it's just a hunting dog. Fuck you. What are these dogs made for? They're not made. We did not develop dogs to find, to buy, to get us ribbons. We developed these dogs to hunt them. What were hunting trials and competitions designed for? Originally, they were, for, they were originally for selective breeding picking the ones that do the stuff best for hunting correct i mean that's what sure. field trials were originally for but now what we've done is created a totally different world of it which good better and different i'm not going to say it one way or the other i think it's an important thing in certain situations but i also think we have to have it in perspective and we have to say if you want a field trial dog you've mentioned genetics before and that's on my list of things too we we i feel we have bred dogs to be steer down the path of some of these training styles intentionally because of those who are influencing that part of our world and who is doing that the guys who are competing with field trials i don't want a dog i think it's smart for a dog to use its nose out to a point of fall and 
because there could be other game or the game could have moved. I've never shot a bird at 200 yards. Do I need my dog to be able to go 200 yards? Yeah, I think that's probably pushing reasonable, but I don't need to go beyond that. And I don't need them to be under such stress and pressure that if they take a foot out of the water, they're sh- they're freaking out because of the pressure that potentially is coming associated with that. To but me, I don't think they do. Right. So that, okay. I'll circle back to the original, but I don't think if the dog has been taught properly that when they do make a mistake, that it becomes earth shattering. And I think that's why following such a, a pathway towards that, none of my dogs are going to sulk because they made a mistake. They shouldn't. Some of them do, but I, that's to me is genetics. That's like their personality. They sulk. If you scowl at them, they just, that's who they are. But the ones that are the average dog to above average dog, when they make a mistake, they understand the mistake and they move on. It's not stressful. It's not howdy. It's not uh, mean. It's, and it doesn't have to be hot, right? Like everyone maybe thinks that all of a sudden, because that dog made a mistake, I turn the collar all the way up and, and get them. No, I, whatever necessary, least amount of pressure to get the desired response is how I phrase it. Yeah. What do I, even if I just yell no and the dog jumps back in the water, hell yeah, now let's run it again or tomorrow set up a similar scenario and see if they learn their lesson. Um, the other caveat I have with the just a hunting dog discussion is all but one of my dogs hunts. Everybody goes out hunting, pheasant hunting, duck hunting, whatever. I think that in essence, to train, and this is, I don't mean this in a mean way, I think to train a regular steady hunting dog that can go 60, 70 yards on land and water and pick up a bird or two is pretty easy. Um, and so, totally. and so, yeah, so when you get to that level and you're like still hungry to do more, you and the dog are still hungry to do more. It's fun to say, or like one of the things that I remember as a kid going, I want to see how good I can make a dog. I want to see how, like, could I take a border collie and, and, in a take it to a sheep trial and win it, or, you know, go to a farm and herd cattle. Like I want to take a dog and bring out the most potential in it and see how far I can take that dog. And so my first dog, I taught him how to run blind retrieves. I taught him, you know, I taught him how to do all these things. And I thought he was the best, still probably number one hunting dog I've ever owned. but. Then I got better. The dogs got better. I got better. The dogs got better. I got better. The dogs got better. And it's like, if I, I would have capped my learning, I would have capped the dog's ability and I would have capped the amount of fun we have because it's kind of badass to send a dog on a 400 yard mark and watch him haul butt and hit the water and swim like nothing stopping them and get out on land and hold the hillside and bomb into the next pond. And it's like, did you just see that dog? Holy crap. And it's like, Back in the day, I never even would have thought a dog could do that. And so and as I've progressed. How come? How come? How come which part? How come you don't think, how come back in the day you wouldn't have thought that they could do that? Too big, too grand a scale, too, too challenging? Yeah, like I, did, I didn't know I could challenge myself or the dog to do something like that. And, and so was this, this, how is this, is this connected to pre-using force fetch and the the 
the gateway into additional training using that? Uh, no, force? so I, I force-fetched him um, and collar condition of that dog as well. Um, I did. But I just didn't think I was good enough. I didn't think the dog was good enough. I didn't even know people did it, right? Like my world was small at that point 13, sure. 14 years ago. And so yeah. I look at it like when someone gets a dog doing simple doubles, hand thrown or from like one of those little shooter dummy launchers. And they're like, boy, this dog's having fun. What else can we do? It's like, there, there's so much we could do. And so I like, I like the idea of advancing that quote unquote meat dog, quote unquote hunting dog to say like, what, what kind of cool stuff can we teach this guy? Agreed. But what I'm getting at, I think what we're missing here is the idea of, does that require a different type of training? Like I, I don't see the, I don't see the connection there. Like I, so, all right. I'll, can I ask this question then to maybe let's have a clarification. Let's sure. say me and you are running our dogs in a training scenario and we've got three birds down, one lands across a pond, one lands over here off to the right of the pond and one lands in the water in a little cove and we got to go pick them up. Well, you send the dog, the go bird is the one in the cove. Dog goes, gets it. Next bird is the one off to the right. Dog goes and gets it. Now having the guts and the, the glory of punching through the water and driving out the pond to get that other one, right? Up the yeah. middle. If everybody's kind of envisioning yeah. this. Let's say that dog cheats the bank. What if the suction from the other bird on the right-hand side that was landed on land, the dog goes back to the old fall? Um, what if they run the bank and now they're in no man's land and because of their depth perception on taking that straight line, now they're hunting way off into no man's land? How do we handle those situations, uh, A, without an e-collar and and would you, you know, I don't know. that Does that make sense? Like, these are Absolutely. some of the things that we're doing no, with dogs. I think that's yeah. great. Let me try to re, re walk through this because there's a lot of stuff in some of the terminology I don't use. So three dummies, one goes across the pond long, one's in a, in a cove, another direction and angled off direction. Yeah. And then, yep. then the third one's in the water before it would have to go in the same line or similar line that it would have to go to the longer bird. Is that, uh, I had it off to the right on land okay. to try and so not even have that situation. Okay. So, so I look at it and I go, well, it's, it sounds first off, we we set up for shit like that all the time because it sounds like a, that sounds to me like a fairly realistic hunting situation. Same. I mean, so, so that works. What I look at it is, is I would assess like the situation and how it folded unfolded. So if I send the dog on the short bird, that's in the corner and they take the line, they swim out, they get it and they bring it back. Good. Then they go and pick the second one, which is not quite so far. And then they bring it back. Good. Now the third one, you said it either runs the bank or it sucked to an old dummy. That's how yep. you explain it. Sure. So I look yep. at that, so I look at it and I go, well, what's my pro problem here? Is my problem that the dog is running the bank? Like if that's the case, if that's the case, I look at it and I go, okay, I have an issue with my dog not wanting to enter the water and carry the line. Is that right? I mean, that's yes. that's what we've got. So I look at it and I go, okay, I dog just showed me we've got a little hole in our 
a little hole in our training here. So what I'm going to do is stop the dog and call him back to me. Like, I'm not going to let him run the bank. I'm not going to give him the reward and let him do that and bring it back. And no, let's not reinforce the idea of it. So stop him on the whistle and call him back to you. And I'm going to take a couple steps closer to wherever that line is to that. And if I had to get them right to the edge of the water where there's no option for them to veer off and take the bank, I'm going to literally start them in the water and they're going to take that line. If they can't take that line, well, what the hell am I running this for? Because we're way outside of the reality of what we're capable of doing. So I'm going to send the dog, let it make that pick and bring it back. Then I'm going to say, we're not, Bob, I'm not setting that one up again because my dog is not ready for it. So now what I do is I add it into my list of things this week. What do I need to do? I need to set some stuff up where I've got some birds across water and I've got some tempting banks for them to run. Now I'm not as picky about that shit as you guys are, because realistically I look at it and I go, if I send my dog and it's very cold and my dog's got to make a long swim across the water and I got a dog that could run the bank and pick the bird and it's really not like if I timed them, this one does it like in half the time that the one did in the water. I'm looking at it and going, I don't know, it kind of makes sense to me. I don't necessarily like the idea of him doing it. If I asked you to go across the water, I don't want you to make your own decisions independently like that. Right. So yep. That's kind of a coin flip for me. So I don't get too bent out of shape for it. But I look at it and I go, well, if that's something I really want to do, I'm going to have to set some drills up to work on the idea of don't take the don't veer off and don't take the easy route to the bank. So no different than if a dog won't come back to me through, you know, I, I just posted a video about this. It's soybeans. And this dog made a retrieve and wanted to skirt around the soybeans. Like right. friction. It was friction. She didn't want to run through the friction. She wanted to go around it. So what did I do? I went and stood in the beans. Made I said, you don't have an option. You got to come through the friction until you get comfortable going through that friction and understanding. And then I look at it and I go, well, now what do I have? I have a real issue with the lining part. So I'm going to go do more lining drills to make sure that the dog holds the line better instead of flailing out when it sees a shadow or a different change in cover. So I assess the situation and I go, let's fix the problem. But in the moment, I'm not fixing shit. I'm getting the dummy and I'm getting out of there and I'm going, let's go fix the problem before we set these things up again. All right. Uh, I agree with all that. What about a dog after you no hear him a few times? And now they don't want to get in the water. After I know here. So they run the bank, you step up, you, you I call them, short, I bring it back to me. Yep. And then you move forward a little bit. You send them again. They try and skirt the bank. No here. And now they're like, I don't really remember it. I don't have, I mean, this is a legit thing that I would run into once in a while where it's like, now I don't have the guts to go and so do I would it. Ask, I would ask, why do you think they're no hearing me? Are they confused? I, I would guess that they're probably confused if you don't, th- I, my dogs, we work on a lot of memory stuff. So I don't know that it would be a memory issue because my dogs, we work on a ton of memory stuff. So okay. I don't know that the dog would forget the idea of the, of the dummy maybe, but then I would look at it and go, well, how strong is my lining? Like, do, do, do they believe me when I point in a line and say, go back, they better, they got to go back. Cause they, but what if they don't, I look at it and I go, let's, why, why don't they go back? Why aren't they? What's yeah, that? why aren't they? So, so I guess I'm trying to come up with so a good scenario. In, in, that, like, in, that, in that moment, I am absolutely not fixing that. Not in that scenario. I'm looking at it and going, let's go line up and send them through. Let's focus instead of having all these other distraction birds and send. Is it the other birds that were the distraction? Is it an issue? Is the dog, what is the reason the dog's not going is my bigger question. Not right. the idea of how the dog that doesn't go. Because my dogs don't ever, I don't know that I, I don't know that I ever run into dogs that, like, I hear people say no go all the time on social media. They'll, what are you going to do when your dog no goes? What the fuck does that mean? Why would they not go? And we they, but they do, 
yeah. Are you confusing them that much? Are they are they timid? Are they afraid of what's going to happen? I don't know. I don't see it happen. I don't have a dog. Just I had one dog that was sticky. She was an old dog of mine. She was real sticky, and I found that the reason she was sticky, like I'd have to say her name a couple times. I Taylor, go back. Taylor, Taylor, Taylor. I'd have to change my tone to get her to go. She was sticky, and I, I've got a ton of videos on our on our pages about this. Yeah. She is, she's nine years old right now and she's no stickiness anymore. She's way better than she was in her prime. And the reason is because I hardly ever work her. And so when I send her, I think when I worked her so often and was so insistent on, we're going to make you better. We're going to make you better. We're going to make you better. It created a little bit of a hiccup in her head. She got a little bit sticky on me. So I slowed down on not doing so much with that old dog because it wasn't half the shit I was trying to do with her really wasn't benefiting her much. It was real repetitive. So I look at it and I go, as I got older, she got way less sticky. Right. Yeah. So the, like for that, that example, yeah, I, I mean, I, again, maybe it's because I've got so many examples sitting in a kennel that are, haven't been developed, you know, what, like their personalities probably, are iffy, like probably whatever. probably a lot younger, Bob. Your dogs are probably a lot younger when you're running into this. And, and I just, I don't, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to. Confusion is probably one of them. So I think that there's. So many I don't want to assume reasons anything, why, but right? But is this one of the that things four, that I would say? With, no, that's it's not in that window. This is the the four month window is a basic gun dog, steady okay. gunfire, birds, water, land. As they advance in training, you know that kind of compulsionary style with the collar and whatnot, and and the steps we take to teach them how to do it properly. You know, one of the things we'll do is quote unquote force to water. So they learn that the quicker they go, the quicker they get in the water. Life is good. They get their bumpers. Like we do a ton of things to build that kind of like your lining, you know, but there's a consequence for not going. And so I look at some of the things that we have like this debate around is what happens if, and even though I respect what you're saying of if you've done things properly from the beginning, or maybe you've got to take 10 steps backwards to rebuild and reteach and whatnot, where I, I would say, boy, it'd be easy to take one step forward here, Nick, here, indirect pressure. I've taught the dog. And in that moment, I've taught the dog that that not going isn't an option. We have to do this. Now let me reward you for completing that behavior. And then we'll repeat it and see. But I've given them a consequence for not complying. I've given, I've taught a, a system in place of this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong. I praise you when it's right. You're happy when it's right. When you're wrong, I'm going to show you how to do it and I'm going to motivate you. Know, I've got a tool in the tool belt to create that. So it's not that I disagree at, I don't disagree at all with anything you've said in terms of memory drills, lining drills, confidence on going and doing these things, but it's in the moment where they think they don't have to, or they think an easier way to do it versus doing it our way. Um, what we're asking of them. It's in those moments where I've got the tools in the tool belt to say, no, do it this way. They understand it because I've taught it. And then they go and do, and then you're like, yeah. And they're like, oh, that was okay. Right. So you sure. have to, you have to kind of create that in my head. If, am I explaining that right? Like, I want to, I want a consequence. I want consequences. It's like kids that you ask them 10 times to get off the furniture because you're at grandma and grandpa's house. I don't want to say it 
nine times. I want to say it once because they have consequences. And, and that doesn't mean I'm mad at you. That doesn't mean you're going to get your butt kicked. That doesn't mean, but they understand that there are rules and boundaries and I am expected to do this. And if not, here's a consequence. And then I'm your biggest advocate when you did it right. Right. And so I, I look at it a lot like that. Another great way to support the show, and if you dig it and you want to rep it, it's LoneDuckOutfitters.com. We got hats, t-shirts, hoodies, all that good stuff. Even if you got a little lone duckling, a little baby on the way, you can get that onesie as cute as can be. Little kid's gear. But we've also got other things like bumpers, launchers, e-collars, anything you need to train a dog. You can find it at LoneDuckOutfitters.com. We're here to supply you so that you and your dog can get ready for duck season. It's just, it's, I totally, it totally makes sense to me. I think here's the difference. It is a complete different philosophy and mindset. And, and that's where I'm totally uncomfortable with that. And you are comfortable with it. And a lot of people are comfortable with it. And a lot of people aren't comfortable with it. It's a totally different school of thought. And it looks, I look at it as like motivator. Okay. I am a motivated person by someone who incentivizes as opposed to threatens. Like, that's just how I am. Like you, you, you give me a project to do and you say you do a good job, you get a bonus. I'm going to do a better job than the guy who says you don't do a good job. You lose your job. Like, I just guarantee you, I won't take the risks. I won't put, I won't put the extra. I'm not going to do that. It's my mentality. I, I am, I am motivated by incentive. And so I think dogs that I prefer to work with dogs in that way. I don't like, I'll be honest. I don't like the look. This is this is personal stuff. I don't like the look of dogs wearing collars. I just think they look robotic. I think they look sticky. I think they look uh, stiff. I don't like the way they look. I don't like the way they run. I don't like the way a dog looks when they run that's been on a collar. I think they carry themselves very different. I think it's very easy to, to pick that out 99% of the time. I love the beauty of a natural style in a dog. I love the way a dog carries themselves. So... When we start looking at, and this is like on the hunt, this is on the send. So like for me personally, it's a philosophy thing. And I want to get dogs 100%. to do it. I want to get the same, I want to get very similar results, but I want to get it in a way that doesn't put literally like, I mean, I, I, and this is where Nick, you had brought up the idea of talking about collars. And I thought, man, this is kind of a whole nother thing, but I, I see where you were with connecting these two. Like, Let's be honest. What is what is a dog when you when you shock a dog? What are you doing? You're shocking them, right? With electricity, it's static electricity. Static electricity is still electricity, right? Is that true or not true? I don't know that answer because there's no like if you push the so button, it's not anything. The, the the way I look at it is if it was real electricity, you couldn't use it in the water. Then what a, is to it? me, I use the word stimulation. It's yeah. If you were to, I, I know, it, if you go to a physical about. therapist and they put the stuff. No, I, listen, I'm not PC, man. I, I'm I'm not trying to be no, PC. Well, but that's and, that's and what I'm it not, feels well, like. Hell, I so right? I so, bought a collar, but it's not lightning bolts going through. Okay, so I bought a collar um, because I got this set up. I don't want to go on that rabbit hole, but I got this collar. capabilities of of using it for training i didn't intend to use it for training. i bought it for gps but i thought it's yep. the same price to get one with training so i bought it with training with the fear of that i may have to break this dog off a deer that was my concern with it i fixed that without having to ever put any electricity on the dog yes. uh, any any stimulation on the dog but so i put that collar on my hand on the meat of my hand okay 
And I couldn't feel it at one and I couldn't feel it at two. At three, I could feel it and I couldn't get over a six. I, no way, get that thing off. Yeah. Now, went up to 18 or something like that. I put it on my hand. I want to put it on somebody's neck. I want to have, I want to put it on someone's neck and I want to put it in someone else's hand that doesn't know what they're doing, that that had a hard time training the issue. And then I want to have that person be comfortable with the idea. This bothers me. That bothers me a lot because I'm not, I'm not against you using it, Bob, because I think you use it right. But the problem is, is the people you influence to use it don't. I don't know if that's necessarily true, man. And I think it's my job to teach them how to use it properly. And, th- and so I'll double back on discussing it's, it's not lightning bolts going th- from prong to prong. So it's not true electricity. It's a signal from a computer in the in the little handheld thing to a computer in the the receiver on the dog's neck that can vary levels i also think that there are good e-collars and bad e-collars that are and and what i mean by that is when i push the button at the number i push it on i want it to deliver instantaneous stimulation at the level i intend so high quality collars are very consistent in that level. So for instance, mine goes from one to eight and I can do a low one, medium one, high one, low two, medium, high two. So I can finesse this thing very slowly. Yep. So I can vary it, right? And most of my dogs are on a two high to a three high. And when the time is needed, I may scale up and get a quickie that is tougher. Again, a more advanced dog scale back down to their normal working level, just as if you're tugging on a leash. No, no, here. No, no, get in the water. No, no, whatever, right? So, and and the, the how I equate it to people is, it's like a TENS unit at a physical therapist. It just pulsates the muscles, and the higher you turn the dial on your pulsating muscle thingy, the more your muscles go like this, right? And so it's an uncomfortable situation I, I don't know how to describe it but um it hurts and then the second thought of putting it on yeah i know it hurts but you don't need to use it at its highest level right and then two the dog's neck is not our skin they've got a coat they've got thicker skin they've got thick muscles it it, it, it it's just oh, different got thick muscles. so <laughs> i don't think not as much as i used to getting old buddy um, but I think it, in, it needs to be taught properly because I'm tired. So dude, you know what? Like take out e-collars. How many times you have people call you and say, I've got a gun shy dog. There's thousands of videos that you've done and I've done on how to introduce dogs to gunfire properly. And they still screw that up. So that same dummy is going to screw up an e-collar. That's going to screw up driving down the road and get in a car accident. Like cars are dangerous. People still drive. So I think if, if they are, if they have an advocate that teaches them how to use it and, and responsibly use it, then it's just another tool, just like a choke chain can be used improperly, just like your hand can be used improperly. No question. I mean, no yeah. question. Yeah. So I think the difference, I think the difference with that is though, so I have, I will put this out there. I have, especially in bird dogs now that I've gotten into some bird dog stuff, I have seen some guys use collars very effectively and very mm-hmm. well. They use them very well. Like I, I have no issues with how they use them at all. None whatsoever. Now they're pros. Uh, 
but, but I've, I've, I've zero concern with how they use them. I'm not going to use one. I, I still yeah. don't, it still bugs me. Still, still dry. Like, nope, not going to do it. But I, I know it can be done. I know, but here's the thing when, so here, but when you, when you talk about a misuse of a, uh, of your hands, if you talk about misuse of a lead or a, a, a slip chain or any type of tool like that, yeah, they can be totally overused. I overuse them at times on it. Damn it. I, I, sure, recognize, we all do. Very, I recognize it very quickly. You know how I recognize it very quickly? A combination of two things, how the dog responds and how it feels to me. Because when I give yep. a nice sharp correction, I feel it. Like me, I feel it. I'm the one who pulled on it. When you push the button, where the or you feel on the it water, internally, like oh, I was in, you know, absolutely. And you heart. hear the dog respond. Yeah. If you push the button as a one or a twelve or a fifty, it's pushing the button, and you're hundred percent dependent on. You know how many people use these things, and and again, it's misuse of the tool. So my my issue is not the tool; it's the and I'm not against. I had some guy want to call me out to do a debate on the ban of e-collars because he knew I didn't use them. The, that's, the last thing I want is legislation telling us we don't have rights to do shit we want to do. Like that is not my intentions. What I think the problem is, is right. what I have an issue with is the misuse of them, I think is much greater than we think and admit to is. And I think that I want, there are a hell of a lot of people, Bob, that do not want to use them and they think they have to. And I think it's a combination of really good marketing. I think it's a combination of, I, I hate to say this I, because this is not personal, but when companies pay other people to do st- say stuff, they say shit. And I look at it and I go, no, 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 no. That, that, that to me is, I don't like that. And I think it's a rampant thing. It's not just in the dog. It's not just in the, it's way, it's every industry has that, but it sure. drives me, it drives me nuts. And I look at it and I go, okay. Who pays the price on all this? It's that poor dog. That, that the guy that doesn't have the patience, the guy that doesn't have the self restraint, the guy that's frustrated. But he's going to be the same guy that's going to swat the dog. You know what I'm saying? Like he's still going to be the but guy if, who's going to mishandle that dog. If he does, yes, I would agree. But if he does, he physically has to do it. And God damn it, that's another layer of checking yourself to say, man, if you beat up dogs, you have a problem. Whether it's with a collar or a leash or your hands, you got I an agree. issue. And I don't know that we can help that. But what I can help is the idea of. But I think they're out there, right? Going, I don't really want to do this, but I think I have to. No, you don't. Right. I don't think you have to either. Right. I don't think you have to do. I, I mean, again, remember in the beginning of the podcast, I talked about reading those books and watching the Wild Rose Way. I don't think you have to. What I do believe is that I can deliver instantaneous communication to the dog of what is right and what isn't wrong when they understand it. And because I've taught the process, it does, it shouldn't be like, I don't even like using the word correction sometimes because it's, it's not that big of a deal. Right. And I think that's the, the misconception that folks have is it shouldn't be life altering. It shouldn't change their, it should change their behavior but it shouldn't change their attitude. If you notice that it's changing their attitude, we've got to reevaluate just like the example of you gave of the dog doesn't like going through the soybeans. We're going to reevaluate. We're going to make them do it. Well, I'll tell you what, I got plenty of dogs that would look like doggy doo-doo if I made them do that over and over again, because they don't want to do it. Right. And so they're going to like salt having to go through the soybeans. They're going to salt having to go uh, into the cattails again. Like they just, 
it's like their personality, right? So it's not, I, I want to have a positive attitude out of the dog. I want to deliver good, timely corrections that are fair and easy to understand at any distance, whether it be at my side or be out at a great distance, like running blinds or, or long marks, right? And so if it's a tool that allows me to do that, I think that's great. I do agree with you that in the wrong hands, it's not a good tool, but same with the choke chain, same with the healing stick, same with um, anything, man, anything. So I look at it like some of our debate that we really didn't get into is like, if this happens, how do I handle it? Well, I can fix it right then and there very quickly, very abruptly. And then it's not typically an issue again. And or I might do it three or four times, put the dog up, revisit it the next day and then say, like, over time, I've built this understanding of come out of the water, don't drop the duck, just like you have. But I can do it in one day. Right. I can do it literally in one or two days where it's just like no here. They pick it back up off the ground, toss it back out like a funzy. They pick it up. They drop it. No, you know, fetch. No here. And then after three, four five times, you're like, I get the gist. Just like you've taught me, I can't do that day one of force fetch. I can't do that. That's like at the end where that dog fully understands what I expect. I give a, a consequence for dropping. I praise when they do it right. I repeat. I show them. I repeat. I show them. And all of a sudden, they're like, if I don't drop it, nothing happens. Life is good. Done. It's the same as we did it on the table. It's the same as we did on walking fetch. It's the same as jumping on and off a dog stand. And it's the same coming in and out of water. Just hang on to it. And I've only had to make maybe three or four corrections versus no hold, no hold, you know, stuff like oh, that. I totally agree with you that on that. Like, I, 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 I don't think the answer is constantly correct for a lifetime of no hold, no hold, no hold. Like, no, that's not, that's yeah. not fixing the problem either. But right. I, but so, I mean, do you, it sounded like I caught maybe indirectly, like you find it to be a quicker or a faster path. Is that so correct? when I say quicker or faster, I understand what you're saying. I do. Uh, I think you can get the job done faster. What I mean by it is I don't have to nitpick a dog because I can do it once and mean it once and show them like I've already built the foundation, right? Like I think any dog needs a great foundation. So because of those things, one correction might be the only time in that dog's life that I ever have to do it. Versus if I didn't have those tools in the tool belt, it may take 50. And I think sometimes dogs that have to see it 50 times, they can just be like, damn, this isn't so fun where I can jump right back into the fun stuff because I made one correction and now we're rolling. I, Does that I, make sense? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I disagree with the idea that I think I, I think you have to recognize as a trainer that you can't bore them. So like I I yeah. can't just I can't just, I can't just be no we're not gonna do it we're gonna do the same boring thing again this is slow my dog if I start reading that hell I don't want to do that either but but I also but I also look at it and I go quite honestly majority of the dogs these days wherever they're coming from that's the beauty of dogs here's here's what blows my mind you can do the stuff you're talking about doing to these dogs and do they know where that pressure is coming from or not that's where these 
pointing dog guys have impressed me with they actually use their collars like non-connected like the dog doesn't even know where the pressure is coming from which i think is smart like i don't want that dog knowing that it's me on the other end but even when they do know it's you here's what blows my mind they still wag their tails they still love us you put them through that and they i mean what a damn it we owe these dogs a lot for being willing to put up with us to do that to them and they still it's just a testament to how impressive this species is but i also have to realize that you can't i can't bore them either you can't bore them and neither can i you can't you can't put i i have to be careful because because i'm not a i'm not gonna be all rainbows and butterflies either we're not i don't wear a fanny pack full of kibble i don't i don't do that so i put sometimes i don't it doesn't (laughs) i feel really corny doing it but sometimes i do i use correction I use pressure and I use praise and I think it has to be both. I just think that the slippery slope comes in to this idea of a push button society of it's quicker or it's faster and it, you don't feel shit, but I'm telling you right now they do. And I don't like that. Now we'll chase ourselves. We'll chase our tails in a circle here about that. And I don't want to do that because I do respect what you're doing. I do respect what the understand the idea of it. I just look at it and I go, for me, no way. And for a lot of people I'm finding. Really so here's what I feel like we should people, do. You know how many people don't want to force fetch their dogs? That's why they send them off to people. Because they don't want to be the one that has to put them through it. They I don't mean, want to screw it up. People. Yeah, they don't want to screw I it think up. They don't want yeah. to be, I, don't yeah. think, I think they don't want to be the guy over here grabbing their ears and pinching them and hearing them squeal. Yeah, that could be too. Um, I think it's one of those things where if we could get our society to not just agree to disagree, I don't like the agree to disagree thing because then you don't actually know what they're feeling or seeing or doing. I feel like if you took the next three to five dogs, because each one of them are going to be different personalities and handle everything differently. And you'll get a feel for it yourself, not just doing one and being done. And I did the same. Let me develop this new puppy and not collar conditioner force fetch and see how far I can take it in a, in one year, like in one year, let's see how far these dogs can go and, and progress. That's the issue though. You just, to me, it's just, not an issue. It's just nailed it. Cause I don't give a shit what the score is at the end of the first quarter. Like I want it at the end of the game that matters that that's to me totally that you just, that's exactly what I'm saying. It doesn't matter to me. It, it, it matters. It does. I guess for whatever reason, it does matter to me. I think if, if I can progress a dog to reach its full potential and then keep building upon it, that's great. I'm all on board. That's a lifetime of journey. Like to me, that's a never ending thing. hundred percent agree with that. I a hundred percent agree with that. I just, I would love it if we both took an opportunity to say, I may not always uh, do it this way. I may go back to the way I used to do it, but let me actually feel what that other person is feeling. Let me actually put myself in their shoes and see what it's like. And if our whole society could do that, we'd all be better off and understand each other more. And so, you you know, one thing that I admire about you is you, you did, you know, jump into the course and watch it twice. You did go to other people and watch them. I think we have to have the audacity in ourselves to say, I may not like it, but let me try it. 
let me just see how it feels. And you may say, boy, this isn't for me still, but at least you can say, at least I tried it. You know, like, I don't like, I don't want to eat that steak. It looks gross. Well, try it. And then all of a sudden they're like, man, you know, I could eat steak here and there. Right. Um, and I think if, cause I agree with so much of what you say and your methodologies and, and how you handle yourself and the dogs that it does work. I don't, I'm not one saying it doesn't work. If problems arise, I know how to fix them because of the way I do it. Um, where I probably would be calling you and being like, Hey dude, this dog is still struggling here. What, what should I revisit? And you would coach me up on it. Um, where when they call me and they're doing this, I can say, make sure you have these fundamental tools in the tool belt and let's progress. Um, but I, I just think it's one of those things where if you took a couple of your dogs and did a light e-collar, correct, you know, e-collar work, I bet you'd, see a lot snappier delivery and a lot, you know, pepping their step as they're running out to T pattern and stopping on a whistle snappy. And, but I could be wrong. Well, so I want to, I want, I have such an instinctive reaction to that, but I want to think about it and, and count my count to three. I always tell people, cause, cause here's, I absolutely not. I'll be honest with you. Like I would never do it. I, and it's because I feel that strongly about it. And it's not because I'm closed-minded. Uh, in fact, I had to open my mind to watch some of these guys that I'm working with and, and kind of mentoring under to watch some of this bird dog stuff. And it was amazing to me to walk away from there going, I can, I'm okay with that, man. I'm okay with what they're doing. They, they, they're very good. And they, they are not abusing it. And they are, I understand why they're doing it and how they're doing it. And I'll tell you why they were doing it. It's because it was faster. They were professionals. They had people that were paying them and they had to get their dogs through certain points in certain amounts of time. It made, it makes a hundred percent sense. I get it. I don't have that. I don't have that restraint. I got all the time in the world. I got, you know, I, I would rather build my own house than hire a contractor. I'm that kind of guy. I, I like, that's just how I am. I like the old school way. I hunt over wooden decoys, man. I'm, I'm, yeah, I love it. There's, some, there's something about that to me. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. There's also <laughs> something to me about the look of the dog without the collar. There's also something about the attitude of the dog and the way the dog moves without the collar. I like that. I think it's real pure. I think it's real art. I think it's, it's beautiful. It's what has drawn me to them. But so would I, would I, for the sake of understanding the other side, do it in that case? No, I'm not going to. But, that's not to say I, I think it's, I'm not saying you're wrong and I'm not saying you're a bad person. And I'm not saying those the other people that are doing it are, I think it has to go back to the understanding of what do you, what is your situation? What is the, the individual situation? So, and what is my responsibility to those who aren't comfortable and don't want to do that? Cause there's a lot of them. And so I look at it and I go, that's why, there are certain things you have to just dig your heels in and say, you know what? No, I, I totally, I totally agree with you. It's better to be understand what the hell I didn't know what a bad, I used to work construction and I read all these guys bitch about their backs. And I used to, I was a young guy and I was strong and I didn't care. I just wanted to do it faster and work harder and whatever. And I was a Midwestern construction mindset. And I had to, as soon as I hurt my back, I felt really bad for these poor bastards because how did they even do their jobs? Because here I got, now I understand what it feels like to have a bad back. That was real eye-opening to me. That same mentality and mindset doesn't work for me in dog training. 
Like I can't be about getting shit done faster I, because that little right. dog that I have might not be capable of going that fast. And so I have found that in the big picture, I get a lot further by slowing down. I don't do more. I do less better. That's a, that's something I've learned. Oh God, I love that. I, my buddy told me that. He said, you know why you didn't have to hold condition blue? Cause you didn't do more. You did less better. I think it's completely yeah. true. And, and in yeah. the end, now that dog was a pretty nice dog and had some really good things going for it genetics wise, but it also, sure you can screw up the best genetics with your culture and you can screw up. You can, you can write the ship of a really struggling genetic dog in the right culture. And I'm looking at it and going, man, I got to do my best to provide bull. And that's where I, yeah, I just, I mean, I, I don't, I think there's value in talking about all of that stuff because you've got to have yeah. the perspectives, but no, I just, yeah, I, I dig I, it, I man. It. I understand. And I re- completely respect you. And I, I, I think that we had a really good Nick. Is there anything other topics that we want to knock out real quick? I've probably got five minutes. Man, <laughs> I, I have an entire list, but but we'll save it. I've been I've just been nerding out over here, man. I've enjoyed the hell out of this, honestly. It's just, I mean, to listen to both of you guys and and the fact that what we set out to do, I think we we really did a pretty good job, or I should say, you guys did a pretty good job. Uh, discussing such hot topic issues, polarizing issues within the dog world, uh, respectfully, you know, they're, they're, people got got a little animated from time to time, but ultimately there was no disrespect at any time or point in no. this entire conversation at all. And, and one thing, as the average DIY gun dog uh, handler, that's what this entire podcast was built upon, is I appreciate the fact that you two can come on and talk about y'all's beliefs with such conviction that y'all truly believe 100% what y'all are doing is the right thing for the dogs. But y'all understand that with different perspectives and starting points and belief structures, uh, different things are different priorities to different folks. But ultimately, the thing that both of y'all focused on is y'all use the word why throughout the entire episode. It wasn't just how, it wasn't just how, it wasn't just how, it was why. And to kind of Jeremy's main point in all of this is ultimately we do have a responsibility as quote unquote influencers to precede all the information that we put out in the most responsible manner that we know how. And I think all three of us go above and beyond in our efforts to do so. Do we succeed in, in it every time? No, it's it's kind of an impossible task nowadays, but I think we all try to, and I and I hopefully the listeners listening to this got something out of this. Whether mm-hmm. whichever side of the fence they fall on, I think just coming from my perspective as somebody that just kind of bowed out of the conversation and nerded out with what you guys had going on, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Thanks, buddy. Well, I, I just I'll I'll end with like for me, Jeremy. It's it's fun talking with you because you're passionate. You're smart, you're good at your job, and you care about people and their dogs. And I will take away from this the added, I already have like a weight on my shoulders of helping people and making sure that I'm doing a good job. But just having someone poke little holes in, this could be explained better, this could be shown better, this is your responsibility, Bob, to to do it to the best of your ability really kind of that to me rings the most of this discussion is that it's our responsibility. If we're going to help people train to 
show it, to to explain it, to teach it as best as we can so that they don't screw it up, so that they don't use it improperly, so that they find what works for them and their dog that's sitting at their feet the best. And I, I can look in the mirror and say, there's a few times where I probably skipped over or because it's so much how much I do it, it's second nature almost maybe where it maybe needs to be explained more. And so I appreciate you being a uh, advocate for the dog and the people and, and push me to be better at it. So that's my main takeaway from this. So I appreciate you. That means an awful lot. And I I say that really sincerely because if there's, uh, I'm sitting here thinking back on the last, whatever, how long we've been talking two hours or whatever. And I'm going, I don't want people to think I'm this soapbox preaching son of a bitch because i i that's not that's not my intentions i when you say that you can sense my passion and you you understand how much i care about the dogs and the people that's it man like that is totally it for me and i and i just nick i really appreciate you willing to do this because this is awkward this isn't uncomfortable this is hell this is one i wouldn't mind listening to i would like i would love to you know like if other people because i i get so tired of this one-way talk shit and mm-hmm. we have to be able to discuss. We have to be able to be cordial, but I do get worked up, and I got to do better at that. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta throttle back a little bit sometimes. But I get so damn worked up about it, and it's because I do really care, and I, I really care about dogs are it to me, but it's people that are really what matter, and oh, that's why I want to do it with people like you because you. I think you are as sincere of a person and, a, and and as committed to what your cause is as anybody. And I appreciate that. That's the, that's the shit I gravitate towards. So Thanks, for us to be able to do this together, I think, I don't think anyone's going to go, man, they agree on everything. Nick, you said something to me about, Hey, I don't want an echo chamber. I don't think we gave you one. And rightfully so. So, but like, yeah, like, shit man i had a whole list of stuff that like we don't even touch the, uh, the tip of the iceberg on. but that's okay because yeah. we went, i i don't i think we did i think we did what we could do in this amount of time and um i'm really honored to have been able to to do it and i appreciate you guys allowing yeah, I, mean, I, I appreciate you reaching out and and even suggesting the possibility of doing this you know you're listening to an episode that if I went back and listened to it and Bob would probably agree that it probably did turn into a bit of an echo chamber because I do do tend to lean lean more towards kind of Bob's methods because that's how I was taught and that's how I'm learning and and that's what you see most often, right? But you did make a a lot of good stuff that I'm going to leave here and it's going to resonate and I'm going to internalize a little bit more. Same. Uh, It's it's discussions and conversations such as this that I think the dog world truly needs more of. And and that's why – like you said, it was kind of awkward, you know, we were trying to have fun, fun with it. And I think ultimately I still had some fun on it, but ultimately I think that this is just invaluable. And so as awkward as it was, you know, trying to start this conversation and get it rolling, I think you guys, uh, went above and beyond with it. And that's why if we do want to come back and start addressing specific scenarios down the road, if you guys think there's any value in that or the listeners think so, uh, I'm open to it, man. I I truly think that there's a lot of value in conversations like this. Me too. And I don't know if I would do it with many other people other than you because of how much I respect you. 
Well, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, I think, uh, Bob, I know you got to go. We, we can stop this love fest. And, and gosh darn it, people like us. Okay, guys? It's, uh, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, guys, seriously, uh, let, let's uh, let's circle back. And, and I'm excited to get this out and for everybody to kind of get feedback because uh, – I I don't I don't know of another podcast or or platform that has done something like this to this degree, and uh, I, I hope I hope this is kind of the kicking off point to where more people do. Awesome. I I my hope would be that it inspires some people because like talking and listening, talking and listening, we, people need to at at some point people got to take action, and so I think that that is that is something that all three of us we need to we need to try to to when you have words man they're they're powerful whether you're writing them or talking them or whatever we gotta i think movement is what we need we don't need the head nodding we need the move we need the movers so i'm hoping that this is this will this will do that for some people anyway absolutely well guys i enjoyed it we'll we'll talk soon when this comes out and uh everybody have a good day man thanks Thanks, thanks guys Hey, do me a solid. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you do it before September of 2023, you're going to enter to win a hunt with me and Kevin and a bunch of other Patreon members down in Missouri. We're going to smack some ducks, have some fun, do a seminar with our dogs and have a great time. But jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Links in the description and join the community that helps me help you help your dog. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today.